Welcome to your podcast or mine, where the creative minds behind the mic are interviewed. Now, let's get things started. Here's your host, Sherry. Hello there. Welcome to your podcast or mine. I'm Sherry. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Sadie Ryan, the creative mind behind the podcast, Eccentricity. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So why don't you tell everyone how uh, you got started in podcasting and about the show Eccentricity. Yeah, so I got started in podcasting fairly recently, actually. I was having lots of really interesting conversations with people outside of university um, about what I was doing, about language and identity and accents and how we feel about accents and I was learning all this really interesting stuff in university and then writing this thesis and being very aware that not very many people were going to want to read my whole thesis and I wanted to kind of find ways to talk to a bigger audience and to talk to people outside of academia about language. Um, So I've always been a really big podcast fan and I thought I was thinking about the way that um, language and accents um, are kept. The podcast is the perfect medium to talk about them because it's all audio. So when you listen to a podcast, you're hearing someone's voice, you're hearing their accent and you can't see them. So you are trying to work out who they are. You're trying to pick up on cues about their identity all the time, really, when you're listening to a podcast. So I thought it was kind of the perfect space to talk about accents and identity and um, how the way that we speak connects to who we are. Um, So I started making eccentricity towards the end of my PhD and I was very lucky that my partner John is a radio producer so he was able to kind of show me the ropes a little bit and I started releasing eccentricity just shortly after finishing my PhD and I don't know anyone who knows someone who's done a PhD will know that it's quite a common thing towards the end for people to start to get a little bit a little bit bogged down to start to kind of feel a little bit like oh why am I doing this uh why do I even care about my subject and doing the podcast was a really brilliant way to remind me why I love language and why I find it so interesting um so it was kind of perfect in that way and then the response I got from people right from the beginning was just amazing like getting these really interesting questions online and people sort of saying to me that the podcast had made them think in new ways about language and accents and that was really really exciting yeah I've just been really enjoying doing it ever since really when did you get started uh, to get interested in language and linguistics? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think kind of always. I certainly left school not knowing that language was. I knew I, so in school I'd done I'd done French. I'd learned some French. But I didn't really understand that my own kind of native language was something that I could study. I didn't understand the accents were something that you could study. Um, And I went to university to do English literature because I knew I loved reading and writing. And 
at the start of university, I went to the University of Glasgow, and one of the course requirements was that you had to do a year of English language and linguistics if you were studying English literature. And I thought, oh, because everything that I, all my expectations up until that point, I thought that it was going to be about um, how to have really good grammar and sort of how to use English correctly. And that kind of made my toes curl a little bit. And then Mm -hmm. I got there and one of the first things that they spoke to us about was the fact that really there's no correct or incorrect way of speaking and they're just there's lots of different ways of speaking within a language like English and all of them are valid but all of them are different and different ways of saying things uh, different ways of pronouncing things are connected to different groups of people and different identities and it just absolutely blew my mind I've found it fascinating and before I knew it I was studying linguistics full-time and I haven't stopped since I'm still fascinated by it. I have to agree with you on that because I went to college for broadcasting. I wish I had known about linguistics. I live in America, so there are so many different accents in the United States. And there are many accents in every country or dialects Mm -hmm. in every country that you go to. But I was more interested in it after uh, reading about a, a forensic linguist who is who dealt with a Unabomber and how he picked apart language and could determine the location of someone just based upon their accent. So that's something that really intrigued me. So I kind of wish I, I went to school for linguistics so I could do something like forensic uh, linguistics because all of that <laughs> interests me. So... Yeah, forensic linguistics is great. There's actually another podcast from the UK and it's by a forensic linguist from, I think it's Lancaster University. And I think she's talked about the Unabomber case, but she also did a kind of multi-part episode recently about the Yorkshire Ripper case, which was really interesting. This was a serial killer who they had a sort of confession tape, which turned out to be a fake but they brought in lots of linguists to kind of try and pinpoint exactly where this voice that they were hearing on the tape was from. And they ended up catching the hoaxer who'd made this tape. They were able to pinpoint um, where he was from to this ridiculously tiny region. And it's just really, really fascinating. Um, But yeah, I think we come to find out about language and uh, about linguistics in lots of different ways. But I think it's something that people quite often their interest they come to be interested in it a little bit later in life because it's something that you can kind of think that you know about and take for granted until something stops you in your tracks and makes you think oh I don't really understand language at all and one of the things I really love about language study and linguistics is that there's so much that we don't understand and I find that some people might say that's frustrating but I find it absolutely fascinating and that's even you know linguists will tend to have an area of expertise which will be a really small geographical space so mine at the moment would be um scotland but really really just glasgow the city i live in and even within that space there's so much i don't know and then when you talk about somewhere like the united states 
I'm a complete outsider, so I really know like very. I, I know some stuff from what I've read, but there's so much kind of local knowledge that you grew up with that I'm I'm missing there. Another podcast that I love, which I'm sure a lot of people will have heard of, but I've been listening to Dolly Parton's America, and there was a really fascinating episode. Um, the episode which is called Dolly Parton's America. I think it's maybe episode eight or seven. Um, and they talk a lot about kind of local meanings of um, Appalachian Southern accents. And yeah. to a complete outsider, it's so interesting because there are all these kind of assumptions that people have and these ideas and all that stuff going on that as an outsider, I wouldn't have a clue about. Um, so that's really fascinating. <laughs> right. So they say, bless your heart. For some Southerners, it may mean you'll be fine, honey. But to other Southerners, it really means f you. You know. So. Oh wow! <laughs> oh, there's so, so much going on there. Right, right. Yeah, there are so many different ways that you can can uh, dissect <laughs> that. So my mother is from South. New Jersey, which is near Philadelphia, and my mm-hmm. father is from West Virginia. But the, even their ways of, of living are completely different from each other. My mother's mm-hmm. was really fast-paced, and my father's was more mm-hmm. easygoing. And I now live in Florida, so I'm <laughs> I'm always surrounded by language, and I have friends from all over the United States and around the world, so I always like picking apart different accents. It's incredible, the kind of diversity with different languages, but also different varieties, different accents. So we talk a lot about Scots uh, in Scotland and the way that people speak their Scots is so different between somewhere like Glasgow and then somewhere like the Shetland Islands to the north of the country. And I have to admit, despite being a linguist, I can't always understand everything that people say when I've been kind of working on um, speech from the Shetland Islands. And that's a relatively small geographical space, but really big linguistic differences across that really small space. Um, And that's really interesting. I grew up in Edinburgh, and we were, in my school, we were absolutely convinced that you could tell whether somebody was from uh, Leith or Portobello or Nidri or Craigbiller based on their accent. And that is a tiny part of the city. This is like, we're talking a few miles down the road. And I don't know if we really, if you'd really tested us, I don't know if it would have held up, but we were totally convinced of it. I think one of the things I love about language is the fact that that's, not just by chance like those kind of perceived divisions those kind of ideas we have about people from here are different from people from here that's all bound up with the language and the cultural differences and the linguistic differences and identity and who people are you really can't separate those and whenever you try you end up with big gaps in your understanding like I think that to understand the way people talk you really need to also try and have an understanding of who they are and yeah that's one of the things I really love about language I'm a sociolinguist so that's kind of the area that I specialize in um other linguists would specialize in like forensic linguistics or there are people who kind of try and work out what's going on inside people's brains when they're talking but what I really love is the way that 
language and society interact with each other? Right. Well, for example, with sociolinguistics, uh, part of it is why we speak differently in different situations mm. and how learning a different language can teach you to think differently, too. Mm. And I, I took Spanish, and I did very well. In fact, I was a tutor for Spanish, but after not using it for so many years, I mm. lost it. So I only know a few phrases that might get me to the restroom <laughs> or it might get me to someplace, but everything else is gone. And also, if you're put into a situation, for example, a dinner party with people of a status that is different than yours, or if you're hanging out at a grocery store in an area that you're not familiar with, or is different socioeconomically, you're going to speak differently mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in those situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one of the episodes, so um, Action City is still a fairly new podcast, so I have got, I think, eight episodes out now, and one of the episodes is called More Than One Voice, and it's about, yeah, the fact that we speak differently in different situations, that kind of phenomenon of, people changing the way that they speak with different people and in different environments. That's something I'm really interested in. What you're saying about Spanish, so I did a two-part episode about multilingualism and it kind of came, that episode in particular really came out of my PhD research where um, I worked with a group of kids who were born in Poland and now live in Glasgow and they'd moved over at some point in their childhood, so some when they were quite young, some when they were a bit older, and it was kind of looking at that experience and how they kind of negotiated life in a new language and how they kept their other language with them or whether they kept their other language with them. And one of the really quite sad things to come out of the research was that quite a lot of the young people I worked with were losing their Polish and you know that's sad in a lot of ways but for them it had some real practical consequences when it came to speaking to parents and grandparents and in some cases yeah there were kids who had been away from Poland for a few years and weren't able to speak to their grandparents which is really sad but yeah it kind of got me thinking about the importance of making space for multiple languages in a place and the kind of so I did this two-part episode about multilingualism and it's really just me cheerleading in quite a straightforward way for making helping facilitate multilingualism whenever possible so obviously that can be really challenging I understand why teachers who have really multilingual classes will sometimes be like okay no English only in the classroom yeah I'm a really big fan of whenever it can be possible people kind of yeah making space for different languages allowing like little conversations in different languages to happen but my partner John has really taught me a lot about this as well because he's someone who grew up he speaks uh, Scottish Gaelic and English Um, so he grew up in this really multilingual environment and it's a really important part of his life and who he is Um, 
we're actually moving quite soon to Manchester in the north of England where he's going to have a lot less of an opportunity to speak Gaelic and it's one of the things that one of the many things that's really difficult about us moving uh, and leaving Glasgow behind is that he's uh he's it's going to be tricky for him to keep up that part of his linguistic repertoire um I don't think he'll ever completely lose Gaelic because I mean his family speak it I think it's far too big a part of his life um but yeah I know that if he didn't have Gaelic in his life he would feel like there was a piece missing and I grew up completely monolingual really so my mum's Polish so she speaks Polish but we didn't speak it growing up so it's kind of a different way of living with language and a different way of seeing the world really to be able to see it in more than one language that's been something I've kind of learned a lot more about in the past few years and I find it really really interesting um gonna have to learn Gaelic I think (laughs) it's the only answer (laughs) so you mentioned that you put out eight episodes, and, and Series 1 was released in 2019. Uh, do you have plans to release Series 2 uh, at some point soon in 2020? Yes. I've got a few things in the pipeline. So first of all, so I made one of the episodes that I did in Series 1 is about babies learning how to talk. I went and recorded seven little babies and toddlers, Um, one was two months old and one was eight months old and I sort of showed the progression of how people learn to talk kind of month by month so the episode I'm working on right at this minute is a kind of where are they now um, style update episode um, where I'm recording each of those kids one year on and hearing uh, how much their language has developed since the last time I saw them so that's been an absolute joy. <laughs> I'm having a great time with Will, hopefully be out quite soon. And then I have been working on, I think it's going to be three episodes, so kind of a little mini series, uh, looking at the relationships between language and technology. So looking at things like how we write our accents on social media and how we interact with voice recognition software and things like that. That's going to be a little bit further down the line. I've done some recording for that, but not all of it yet. And then after that, I've got this big move coming up to Manchester. So I'm hoping to look at doing some episodes about kind of centering around my position as an outsider in Manchester and hopefully finding some people to teach me a bit about uh, Manchester accents and how people how people speak in Manchester and what it means to them. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And then further down the line, I've got so many things in the pipeline. Further down the line, well, I mentioned there that I should learn, I should have a go at learning Gaelic at some point. I think I'm going to work on a series where I learn Gaelic as a beginner and kind of document the process and also on the way learn a little bit. So both both learning a bit about Gaelic as a language and its culture and its history and its people and then also looking a bit at kind of 
the science of language learning and what happens in our brains when we learn a new language and to what extent does learning a new language does it lead us to think differently um and kind of things like that so it'll be like partly personal and then partly looking at research that's been done and kind of what we know scientifically about language learning but that's that's a bigger project so that'll be a bit further down the line but yeah I'm hoping to just keep on exploring other things might come up in the meantime I don't know I'm hoping to just keep on exploring the things that I find really interesting in a fairly unstructured way which is what I've been doing so far and just kind of chasing things that I am fascinated in and learning about them and taking listeners along with me. I find that interesting. I love everything about that. (laughs) (laughs) So how do you uh, record and edit your show? It's actually changed a lot since I started. And yeah, I think saying that it can be a bit unstructured and a bit chaotic and start, because I'm new to podcasting, so I'm starting now to settle into having a process and having a way that I do it if I'm honest at the beginning I just chased people up had conversations with people that interested me sent messages to strangers on Twitter asked if we could meet up um, recorded loads and loads and loads of audio and then went through kind of draft after draft of like honing it so I do like these narrative like built episodes rather than just straight up conversations We'll record a lot of audio and then cut in and out with voiceovers and music and weave it together into a story. And I love it. I think it produces really good content. I find it really fun, but I probably need to learn how to be a little bit more efficient and produce stuff in a way that's a little bit less time consuming. Because at the moment, I really work for quite a long time on each episode (laughs) to get it really good. Um, but yeah, I'm learning and I'm beginning to kind of streamline my process and have a bit more of a set pattern that I follow and a set plan. Um, but my biggest flaw as a podcaster is probably just that I get really overexcited and enthusiastic and want to just dive in before I've really planned properly. John's really good at, uh, at kind of helping me to be a bit more structured and a bit more directed in my in my recording so yeah it's messy but I think the process is messy but I think the end result is quite polished with the episodes that I've put out so far but yeah it's polished through a quite painstaking process of uh, refining and revising each episode as I go. I'm getting better. I'm actually going to be teaching a workshop on podcasting quite soon. So I think in a funny way, that's going to help me explaining what I do. It's going to help me to get better at what I do. So I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, that sounds fun. (laughs) That sounds like... I mean, I have to say, like, as someone who is, a linguist who makes podcasts or a podcaster who does linguistics I think the two have really helped each other out a lot because I think that as an academic we can sometimes get really tied up in details and then find it quite difficult to communicate the main points of our research to people who don't already 
live inside our little bubble, our little field. So that's, I think it's, it's really helped my communication as an academic. And then I think as a podcaster, yeah, it's these two different kinds of communication that complement each other really well. I think as someone who's interested in audio storytelling, it's really good to have this kind of base of knowledge and this area of expertise that I can bring into that. It gives me a kind of focus. So I'm I'm not just telling any story. I'm telling stories that I've got a bit of a knowledge base in. So I think, yeah, I think the two complement each other really, really well. They do. And I also have interviewed a couple of people who are PhDs, one in history, and she does a podcast called Happy Hour History, and Mm. another one who's a PhD for uh, zoo archaeology. Her podcast, along with her co-host, is called Archaeo Animals. But each of them, including yours, is very informal, which I think in some ways is good for you as a person because it's not all stuffy and buttoned up all the time. You can have a little bit of fun with it, whereas when you're lecturing, it's a completely different uh, scenario. Mm-hmm. Certainly in my, when I'm, to be honest, when I'm lecturing, I'm quite informal. But when I'm writing academic journal articles and when I was writing my thesis, yeah, it tends to be, very formal and then also just very kind of detail driven and um, often kind of zooming into these details and staying there for a really long time. So my thesis was a lot of, it was it was about these young people who'd moved from uh, Poland to Scotland, but it was doing really kind of fine grained statistical analysis of their speech. So big parts of it were um, just looking at the difference between them saying uh, can't and canny, but in the painstaking detail. I did love it. It sounds like I didn't, but I did. But that being able to zoom out again and kind of say, what does that mean in relation to the world and in relation to the world outside of that project, I think is really important. And yeah, those other podcasts by... These people sound brilliant. I really want to listen to those. Um, yeah, I would almost say it's something that every PhD student and every researcher should do. But as I say, it is really time consuming. <laughs> and I think some people would hate it. But I think it's a really great exercise for someone who's in academia to make a podcast. Because you're either spreading the knowledge that you've learned or there's a way for you to let loose a little bit and have fun while speaking about something that you truly enjoy and is in your career path. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, yeah, it has been so much fun making this podcast, more fun than I even thought it would be, and I thought it would be quite fun. Um, And I suppose one of the really great things as well is if you're writing within academia, you've got to follow certain rules and you've got to fulfill certain expectations that people have. But with the podcast, within reason, I can do whatever I want. (laughs) And that's really, really fun. Um, I do feel like a certain responsibility. I don't don't tell lies about language or anything. 
um, everything I say is true, but I can say it in whatever way I want. I can I can show a lot more of my personality than I could uh, if I was going to write like an academic text. And that's really, really good. That's something I'm really enjoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so have there been any resources or help that have brought you to where you are now? Are there any uh, groups that you belong to that or is it your partner who has really stepped up to help you or a combination yeah, of everything? So in the initial stages, definitely, I've been really helpful. So he did work for BBC Alba. He's very freelance, which is the Gaelic part of the BBC. So he kind of had that background in, in recording and broadcast, which is really useful. But kind of recently, I've started to speak to other podcasts and their podcasts are quite different from mine in both form and content um but I've started to speak to some people online so I chatted to there's another really really great language podcast uh called the vocal fries and I've chatted to them a little bit and been on their podcast so that's been really good and there's a podcasting conference called sound education which is for like educational podcasters and I've started to talk to them a little bit and they're launching a kind of group slash app called Lyceum Podcasts, which I'm kind of talking to them about a little bit. And hopefully that's going to be a community that I can speak to a little bit more. There are, there are lots of podcasts in the UK and lots of podcasts in Scotland. But I think from what I gather, there's a lot more in the States and Canada and Australia, probably New Zealand. So, um, yeah, like making connections can be a little bit tricky sometimes over here. And yeah, kind of when I look at kind of the big podcasting conferences and stuff that happen, from what I can tell, they kind of tend to quite often be in America. Um, so a lot of the connections I've made with other podcasters have been online. Um, but podcast it online so why not that works <laughs> is there any advice you would give to someone who wants to podcast but maybe doesn't uh, know how to get started I mean okay I know that just do it is terrible advice but I think don't agonize too much about it having to be perfect or about what people might say in response to your podcast because um I did a little bit when I was kind of first making the podcast and putting it out I everything that I said I thought oh what if someone doesn't like this what if someone wants to argue with me and actually people have been incredibly kind and the reception's been really really lovely and so that's been really nice and what I've put out hasn't been perfect at all but it doesn't matter I think just putting something out there is really important what else is important I think if you do have access to networks of other podcasters and people that you can meet what I would really really love actually I'm I'm involved in a writers group in Glasgow where there's a group of us and we write fiction and then we meet up and workshop it and talk about it Um, and if I could have a group like that with other podcasters that would be just incredible I suppose you could do it online but I think it would be really cool if you could meet up in the flesh so I think if people are able to like find find their little podcasty crew that's wonderful um 
it doesn't have to be expensive. Like you can spend a lot on equipment, but I recorded the first episode on my phone. I got a fairly decent microphone and just plugged it straight into my phone, then did it that way. And I think the sound quality is really good. So I think like if you looked online, like what equipment should I get to start a podcast? You might, it might look like it has to cost like 500 pounds, but it really, really doesn't. It's a lot, it's a lot easier than you might think it would be. But yeah, I guess finding a way to not be working completely in isolation is really good. And whether that means working with other people who make podcasts and radio, or whether that means just recording audio with other people and having conversations with other people, like... I think that a podcast should be a conversation and I think any way that you can make it a conversation is really good. Does that make sense? It does. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so how has podcasting changed your life for the positive? I, you mentioned a few things, but is there anything else that it's helped you with or made you realize? I think, yeah, it's helped. The fact that the response has been so positive to my, to this tax interest, yeah, I suppose that in the past I might have thought that there was something that I didn't have, like there was some barrier between me and people who make cool stuff and put it online. Um, and just kind of making myself do it, even though I was nervous, has shown me that that it, there isn't a barrier there and anyone can make cool stuff and fit it online. So that's been really useful. Um, in terms of my job, it's been really good just, uh, as I was saying earlier, just reminding me why I love language. And I think that it's really helped me hone my communication skills, which I found really, really valuable. It's made work fun, which has been great. And yeah, it's just, it's taught me to be a little bit less nervous about having conversations with strangers in general, I think. Particularly having conversations with strangers about my specialist subject, but having conversations with strangers in general, it's it's helped me to realize that there is this big friendly world that you can find through the internet and through finding common interests online. Um, And yeah, to hear the way some people talk about the internet and the online world, you'd think it was this awful hellscape. But um, Mm -hmm. actually, there's a receptive audience out there for everyone, I think. And there's people who want to connect over common interests. Yeah, and that's been a really amazing thing to find out over the past year. There was a man uh, that I just interviewed that is airing a few episodes before this one by the name of Glenn Moyer, and he has a podcast about everything Scottish, and it's called Under the Tartan Sky. Oh, I I think that you probably should connect with him yeah, to uh, to talk about your podcast because That'd be great, he, yeah. 
He actually visits Scotland once a year. Would love to ask you uh, personally if you have a favorite dialect or a country that you find the accents are, that are uh, particularly fascinating. Uh, I mean, it would be really, really lame <laughs> to say that I love Glasgow. Actually, Glasgow isn't my oh, like I'm from Edinburgh, so Glasgow's you know the next city over. So I am a little bit of an outsider, but. It would be really lame to say Glasgow, but Glasgow's the one that I've learned the most about and that I know the most about. Um, I'm really excited to learn about Manchester and my new job. Um, but, you know, I think that every kind of way of speaking and every language and every dialect is, oh, this sounds really corny, but yeah, they're all equally beautiful, I think. Just each is different and each has its own context and each has a whole world of stuff going on that you, if you, the, dig, the deeper you dig, the more that you'll find there. So I have my own kind of personal connection with Central Belt Scotland, with Edinburgh and Glasgow, with it being where I'm from. I guess I've got a personal connection to Ireland and Irish accents because uh, that was where my dad's family's from. But I think that, I mean, yeah, your own feelings about accents and languages and dialects really say more about you than they do about the accents and languages and dialects, don't they? Because those preferences come from within you. So, yeah, I think that every single way of speaking in the whole world has, it's, has just as much magic and excellence and loveliness going on. It's just that no single person can discover all of them. <laughs> you only have your own limited field of vision. And uh, yeah, I'm going to learn about as many as possible, but probably not all. <laughs> so how can people find Accentricity on social media and ultimately listen to the podcast? It's pretty easy to find. So the website is www.accentricity-podcast.com. The Twitter handle is at AccentricityPod. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram at AccentricityPod, but I probably use Twitter the most. And it is, I think, available on just about every podcast platform. Certainly got it on all the main ones. And actually, if anyone finds a platform that it's not available on, then I would love it if they wanted to send me a little Twitter uh, DM and let me know because I'm kind of working on making sure it's available everywhere. Um, but yeah, just Accentricity podcast. So like the words eccentricity and accent mashed together. <laughs> and yeah, so there's eight episodes up just now. I would probably recommend people start with episode one. Um, it's not serialized, but episode one is kind of a little bit of an introduction manifesto episode kind of thing. And the later episodes are kind of bonusy type episodes that I made uh, with some of my students um, at the university at the end of uh, last term. So, yeah, I think episode one is the one to start with. Um, and, yeah, if people want to get in touch, I always love to hear feedback. Um, and I'm happy to answer people's questions, whether or not it's someone who, whether it's someone who's making their own Pat podcast or whether it's just someone who's interested in language. Do you have anything else to add or promote either for 
the podcast or personally? So the new project that I'm going to be working on in Manchester is called Manchester Voices. And if people are, so I've not started yet, but there's already a ton of interesting stuff online relating to that. So if people are interested in sociolinguistics and language stuff in general, then uh, they might want to check out that project. Yeah, I can't wait to be part of it. I start there and I'm really excited, but they've had a couple of podcasty things out on the BBC and they've got a really great website and some kind of short films that they've made um, about Manchester and its voices. So yeah, another cool place to look. (laughs) Great. Before we go, do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to share to people that are listening to the podcast and just discovering Accentricity? I think just, yeah, I guess if there's like an overall message of Accentricity, which there sort of is, I guess the message is just that, kind of like I was saying before, every way of speaking is beautiful. And I think that we have these kind of likes and dislikes and everybody has positive responses to accents that they like and negative responses to accents that they don't like. And I think it's just important to remember to take those feelings and preferences with a pinch of salt and to remember that they say more about us than they do about the accents. Um, and, yeah, not to not to do anyone down because of the way that they talk, because I think that happens a bit too much in this world. And there's a whole lot of us who are kind of working on trying to change that. And I think accentricity is kind of part of that project. Lovely. Well, Sadie, so mu- thank you so much for joining me on your thank podcast, you so Mind. I appreciate it. And to everyone listening, we'll chat soon. Hello, good time of day, and welcome to the promo for Full Starts Podcast, where a movie podcast that dives deep into movies that try to start a franchise and failed after only one movie. The reason I'm talking so fast is because we're going to do now, hopefully, an, an entire episode of Full Starts Podcast in under 60 seconds about Superman Returns. Go! On my right, we have Ashley, who smells exactly as he sounds. On my right, we have Dan, or Daddy Danny. <laughs> no time for laughs, Dr. Jones, come on! On the right, it's Lewis, he's like a rubber chicken in human form. That's me, guys, uh, what's your favourite trumpet sound? <laughs> Theme tune. So, Superman Returns, let's talk about it. Dan, what'd you think of it? Awful, should never be made. Ashley, round and round for 60 men. And I don't know if we're allowed to mention Kevin Spacey by name. Is it a good movie? It's not a good movie. Hell no. Let's have a break. We're back! Why did Superman Returns never get a sequel? Because it didn't make enough money, obviously. What would the sequel have been if it did? That big chunk of kryptonite floating about in space would have made Brainiac and Bizarro Superman. What would we do if we were going to do a movie? Superman teaches your son that to be Superman, and if Superman's son turns out to be evil. Superman flies around the Earth, which means he goes back in time, but also causes a hurricane that kills his dad. Superman fights a giant spider. Join us for a full episode. We've already covered things like Dumbo. Doom! Planet of the Apes. Roger Rabbit. Keith Lemon the Movie. Full Starts Podcast. Find us wherever you find your podcasts. 35. Time, that's time! <laughs>